Talking books now, Andrea van Weyck. So glad to have you back with us and so glad to see you here as well. I don't see you often enough because it's actually my fault. I should just phone you. But uh, talking books this morning, and let's talk about The White Room. It's Craig Higginson. Yes, so it's his latest book. He's a local author, so I decided we need some local fiction in the mix. So The White Room is set in Paris and in England, um, and it gives the viewpoint of two characters. The one is Hannah. She's an English teacher, a South African-born, and Pierre, her student. He's French. And the story takes place in both the present and through flashbacks of the past. Now, in the present, Hannah's written a play about her brief love affair with Pierre, the two were though really too naive to form a lasting bond and the relationship ends quite abruptly with both parties being very, very angry at each other. Now, in the present, Pierre is going to be watching the opening of this play in London along with his new wife. Um, and he's really shocked and infuriated by what, by what he sees. But at the same time, he's still drawn to Hannah. Now, one of the interesting things about the book is the literary device of the unreliable narrator, and that's Hannah. It's not clear whether we're being given the true version of the story in the past or an embellished one in the play. So you're wondering what is true, what isn't, which which is part of the play and what is part of the real flashbacks. And mm. this gives the story um, of the past this almost surreal dreamlike quality. Now, the writing is quite pared down, uh, sometimes quite austere, if I can call it that. And it contrasts with this almost poetic plot that you've got. Um, I would call it an irresistible read. Um, it's going to stay with you long after the last page has been turned. It's a book about memory and identity and language and misunderstandings and love and I can definitely recommend it. Um, on the cover you've got an endorsement of the author by Andre Brink, the late Andre Brink, um, who calls Craig Higginson the vanguard of the latest and most exciting novelists in South Africa. So if you were wondering, there's the endorsement that you want. <laughs> but you know, very often you have these endorsements and I've read before whatever I've read and you have these sort of New York Times says greatest whatever but then you read the book and you say to yourself um, are we actually reading the same book here is it the same thing yet you give it the thumbs up Absolutely. So I bothered to read the book. I haven't gone by just the quotes on the cover. Good. Um, yes. Uh, and, and the author has won b awards before for his work. So he's not just some dude from Joburg. No, he's not some dude from Joburg. Was it difficult, though, if you have, say, the play and sort of flashbacks, was it difficult following that? Because it's difficult to write sometimes, having two sort of worlds merge in one. Absolutely, but it's quite clear. I mean, it's made quite clear what is happening in the past and what is happening in the present. But like I said, because you're not always sure what you're being told of the past is in the play or what is real, because Hannah admits um, that she's embellished a bit in the play because it's a play. It's based on the truth, but it's a story at the same time. So you're left wondering, and it's it's part of the meatiness of the book and, and part of reading, I mean, the fun of reading the book, 
to try and figure out, hmm, okay, what is real? Should we believe Hannah's version of events? Should we believe Pierre's version of events? Because there's more than one side to a story, right? There's mm. that whole thing about there's, you know, there's one side of the story, there's a second side of the story, and the third is somewhere in the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. So that's definitely what this book kind of espouses. Have you read Craig Kingenson before? And I, I ask this because I've got my favorite authors. Like, I'm a Frederick Forsyth guy. I love this. And every time he brings a book out, it's normally around Christmas. It's like, oh, Christmas present to myself. Have you read any of Craig's works before? No, I confess I haven't. This is the first one, but this has made me want to read more of his works. Yeah, he's got, the, I think, the dream house and the landscape painter. So it's something yes. for both of us to do. Very yeah, absolutely. Nice. So, and those are the books that won the awards. So I would say definitely I'm going to like go out and read more of his things oh you could advert for him all right our second book it's uh, ben okri it's uh, who is the prisoner the freedom artist okay so ben okri obviously the booker prize winning nigerian author um the freedom artist is his latest book um so it's set in this dystopian post-truth world and i say post-truth because obviously we've got so much talk at the moment it's one of the topics that's trending across the world about being in a post-truth world so it really um it, it's speaks to us as speaks to what is being what is happening in the world right now so the freedom artist tells the story of Karnak a guy and he's beloved the mysterious Amalantis now this is a world where sort of in an echo of Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 books are banned mm. because there's this hierarchy and the hierarchy, you never see them. It's a kind of almost a big brother-like hierarchy. Um, they've banned books. They don't want people to have knowledge. It's a world where people are enslaved by a prison of their own making. Though most of these people don't even realize they're prisoners. So this really is a metaphor for life right now. Um, those who do know the truth start this underground movement. And this movement continually paints the words who is the prisoner everywhere on walls um, around the city where the story takes place. Now, Amalantis too begins to ask this question and short because she's asked this question, she's arrested by the hierarchy and taken to this unknown place where all dissidents are kept. Um, what happens to them there? We're never told. They just disappear. Mm. Um, and then when Karnak starts to search for Amalantis, he has to leave behind his own naivety and, and unwillingness to face uncomfortable truths. Um, and then at the same time, it tells the story of a child whose grandfather reads to him forbidden books. Um, and this child has to learn to become one of those people who fights against the system using knowledge as power. And I just want to uh, uh, very briefly quote from the book because I found this quote so profound. He saw that the prison was the world and the world was the prison. And I think wow, that, yeah. yes, I think that, you know, if you really think about it, we're as people of the world, we are imprisoning ourselves and we don't realize that that's what we're doing. And this book is this one beautiful metaphor for trying to wake us up. We need to see what is happening around us, and we just don't. So uh, the Freedom Artist just uses the most stunning uh, poetic prose to deliver this powerful comment on the threats to our freedom, the threat to our freedom of expression, freedom of thought in a world full of pretense and full of lies. You spoke about Ben being from Nigeria. Is this perhaps a reflection of his country, the area where he lives? 
I don't think it's necessarily about Nigeria. I think this is about the world. I think this is the world that we live in and we see this happening everywhere. We see this happening in our own country. We see this happening in the United States. We see this happening in China. We see it happening in Europe or the UK. It is happening everywhere. That's why this is about the world. The world has become a prison uh, for us. So um, Ben Okri, um yeah, he, he likes sending his books in, in some of his books in this kind of dystopian world. But it's it's great because... It really, um, it really makes you, this, the fact that it's set in this dystopian world, um, you know, it's almost a kind of a warning because it, yeah. even though it's a fictional world, it's always possible. It could happen. If we don't wake up, if we don't use knowledge as power, mm. we will lose, um, mm. we will lose our freedom. Well, we will, and it's, it's something I actually spoke about at the breakfast show yesterday when talking about media freedom, talking about the freedoms that we enjoy just every single day. They could disappear very quickly if you go into a militant state, if you go into, I don't know, any sort of autocracy as well. It's a problem. It's something we don't realize, and very often we are pushed closer and closer to this. It's a slippery slope, and we don't know what's happening. Yes. Um, I mean, just recently in uh, Australia, I think it was this past week, where the police um, uh, swarmed the Sydney um, hmm. it's the Sydney Broadcasting Corporation. Sorry, I can't remember the name now, but it's it's the Sydney local uh, television station. And they went in there and confiscated documents um, because there had been an expose of what the military had been up to. And now they're citing, no, it was a secret, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, citing law and just confiscate, confiscating reams and reams of paper, of computers. I mean, it's just shocking. It's a Australia. Yeah, I mean, Australia, you, you, you would get this if it was the old Soviet Union, East uh, Germany. You, you would understand it. Australia? Yeah, absolutely. I was so shocked to see that. You know, you kind of think mm. it's this, you know, chill place, if I can put it that way. And, you know, very open, but uh, clearly not. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you read uh, Who is the Prisoner? The freedom artist Ben Okri. I'd like to hear from you at 11883-0702. Also, The White Room, Craig Higginson. Have you read either of these books? Because we'd like your take on them. Did you enjoy them? Did you not enjoy them? Then our third book, and I'd also like your input on this as well, Barbara Kingsolver, a novel, Unsheltered. Yes, so Barbara Kingsolver um, is known very well in South Africa and Africa for her book, The Poisonwood Bible, because it is set um, in uh, the DRC. Um, but uh, this book is set in the United States. Um, I want to start with a quote from the book. Um, which I thought also was quite profound. Um, the book is called Unsheltered. So the quote says, Without shelter, we stand in daylight. Without shelter, we feel ourselves likely to die. Um, and shelter in this case refers both to a physical shelter, a house, and also the shelter that we get from others and from knowledge as well. So um, it's set in 2016. Well, it's also set in two places. In the present, in 2016, in the small town of Vineland in New Jersey, uh, Willa Knox is desperately trying to save her family home. They're living there um, in a house, but it's literally falling apart. And they're being told it cannot be saved. Um, 
And it comes as she's suddenly required to look after her son's baby um, while her relationship with her daughter is also fraught, to say the least. So she's struggling with literally her shelter falling apart and then the shelter of her family also coming apart. And then the second part of the book, in 1871, there's a science teacher also in Vineland, Thatcher Greenwood, um, and he moves into a house that's also starting to fall apart. Mm. He is hoping to find this open-minded society there where knowledge will be welcomed. Um, he's very into Darwin because Charles Darwin had just written his uh, book um, and he's hoping to get a celebration of this where people will accept this knowledge and use it to take science forward. But he's very soon disabused of this notion. Um, his promotion of Darwin earns him scorn um, and outright hostility. But uh, he finds a friend. His next door neighbor is a botanist and a lay scientist called Mary Treat. Now, Mary Treat is Fantastic. She's a real life figure. Yeah. Um, she was, uh, like I said, she was a botanist, but she had no training. So she would go around, um, in the local forest and collect plant samples and cultivate them and write treatises on them, submit them to science magazines. Uh, she was in contact with Charles Darwin. She was in contact with a whole bunch of very well known scientists of the time. And you can just imagine a woman at that time. Oh, yeah. That was a big no no. I mean, women weren't uh, sort of allowed to be scientists and Darwinists and all the rest of it, but there were those those free thinkers who came out who didn't uh, didn't agree with that. Absolutely, and that's exactly what she was. Um, so at the same time, so both Thatcher in the past and Willa in the present are struggling to find ways not only to keep these physical roofs over their heads, but of finding homes through a sense of belonging, through a sense of identity. Um, Yes, I mean, I really enjoyed this read. Funny enough, to me, it didn't feel like a Barbara Kingsolver book. I've read quite a few of her her books and they kind of have a certain style and a certain feel to them. I'm I'm actually quite struggling to describe exactly what the uh, what the difference is but it's it's not necessarily a bad thing i really enjoyed this novel but it feels very different so if anybody knows if anybody's able to put that in words mm. please tell me but uh yeah so a really fascinating read and introducing me to this this figure the scientist figure real life figure who um was a real maverick Mm. Um, who just didn't care and decided she wanted to know more about the world around her. She was going to uh, observe tarantulas. Her whole yeah. house was full of spiders and creatures and all sorts of things. So really just a marvelous, marvelous read. Sometimes you get an author, though, like Barbara Kingsolver, who, who does that. They've got their formula reads, like you've said, but then they sort of delve into something else. Do you feel that this has accomplished that, that she, that she actually got to do what she set out to do? I think so. Um, I mean, I think when you, when you read a lot from one author and you get a kind of feel, I mean, her, her writing isn't formulaic in any sense. Her stories are very different, but, um, she, you know, like this really feels like a departure from, from everything that she's written before, but I think she does it very successfully. Um, so I think if you, if you're a Barbara Kingsolver fan, um, you will find that this book is a bit different to her others. But I mean, there, there are common themes. So she loves the theme of nature in her books. Um, she loves, um, talking about the natural world, its beauty and the threats to the natural world. So, I mean, that thread, that theme sort of comes through in this book as well. 
Also, when it comes down to writing a certain time period, has she written about books in the same time period before, or is this something totally new for her? So she hasn't written that I know of. I haven't read every single book of hers, but I've read quite a few. Uh, the first time that I think she set a book in this particular time in the 1800s, but she's written about the past before in her book, The Lacuna. Um, she writes about Frida Kahlo and Diego Riviera. So that obviously took place earlier in the 1900s. Um, you know, with their art and and their involvement in uh, in the Soviet Union, but uh, so she's written about the past before. The research is meticulous, so apparently she did. I mean, she lists quite a few um, sources that she um, had to uh, consult um, about Mary Treat, about the scientific figure. So she did her research very well. She didn't just make it up. She didn't just take this name of this figure and uh, uh, make things up about it. She really did her research, um, found out more about this figure, and then. Just just breathe life into her. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because what people don't realize is when writing books like Barbara did, the time that it takes to get that sort of detail that's in there, because you have people out there who say, but I know differently, I'm an historian, that actually didn't happen. And sometimes this whole thing is sort of disputed and it lands up saying this book is incredible whatsoever. Yeah, funny enough that you mentioned that because very recently, I can't remember the author's name, but uh, a, a, an American uh, writer, she uh, wrote a whole book about um, black people being executed. Um, and she, her research was done so poorly that she didn't understand what she, what she had researched. Mm. And so her entire book ended up being wrong. Um, she was interviewed recently on a radio station about her book and the presenter had to point out to her, but you oh. got your facts wrong. Oh no. Oh, and her no, books, no, no. her books just launched. So it's not like she has time to quickly go back and edit it and fix it. It's just been published. How do you publish something like well, that? Well, how do you unpublish it? I mean, it's like broadcasting. Once you say something, it's out there. Absolutely. So that's, that's quite embarrassing. So it's very important to do quite a bit of, of proper research when you're going to be writing about a real life figure. Yeah. People also enjoy it as well because it comes down to taking your mind, transplanting your mind into that time, living through that time period. Talk about Darwin. That was really heavy stuff. I mean, the guy was fantastic. Absolutely. But at the time, obviously, people really struggled to accept it. And a lot of people heard about Darwin, but they didn't read Darwin. So they didn't really understand what he was trying to say they were just like oh he's saying we came from monkeys it can't be true mm. you know he's saying that there's no god it can't be true um and that wasn't exactly what darwin was saying so you know if people hadn't read people hadn't bothered to read darwin they kind of went on rumor um and that's why they rejected darwin they didn't bother to actually engage with his material and see what it was he's trying to say. Interesting. It says, yeah, for interest's sake, uh, SMS says, King Solver is a trained biologist. Oh, right. I didn't even know that. There you go. That is why there's so much nature in her books. Yeah. Do you find, though, that you get a little bit lost in the nature? I mean, it's not for everybody. I mean, I like a good thriller. Sometimes the detail, you can keep it to one side. Or is this just a, sort of a journey down, a journey down a journey? It's a theme. It's not really where she, I mean, she's got beautiful descriptions, but it's not like she, um, she doesn't, you don't get bogged down in it. You're not reading a botany book. You're not reading a scientific book because mm. if that was the case, then I would have given up a long time ago. Um, it just forms a theme 
and it, um, it's a thread through her books, but it's written very beautifully and it makes you want to actually engage in nature. It makes me want to go to the settings um, where, of her books so that I can uh, see these things for myself. Yeah. Thank you to some of your calls, 011-883-0702, SMS. Yeah, was this an easy read? And I think I think that's the thing is as well. I did say it's a journey upon a journey upon a journey, but is it an easy read? Is it a sort of a, a book that you, you'll take a couple of months to read or is it a weekend special? Um, look, I'm a fairly fast reader, so I read it in a few days, but it's not a difficult read, I would say. Um, the language isn't heavy. Um, you know, it's, it's, I really think that you could do it in a week. Mm. Um, you know, start on the weekend, read it throughout the week. I don't think that it's it's heavy enough for you to take a few months over it. Yeah, something else you didn't know. Barbara is apparently part of a band too. Oh, wow. A bossinist? A band member? I mean, what else does she do? And Reverend Vake, what else are you looking at? What are you reading at the moment? What can we expect? So at the moment, um, I'm reading a book by John Connolly. You were talking about thrillers. It's a cry, it's a thriller. Um, he writes, as an Irish author, he writes crime fiction with a slight supernatural element to it. So he's fantastic. I, um, was very lucky to meet him this past week and to interview him. Um, he's just, he's fantastic. He's so convivial and congenial and full of jokes and whatnot, but his books are Fascinating. It's the first time I'm reading him. But uh, so if you like thrillers, if you like crime fiction, mm. with just a little bit of a twist to it, I can really recommend him. I thoroughly enjoy your job. You know, I want your job just reading books all day long.